You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Five verse forty-nine. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Identity, vision, mission, this is the third week of three. Um, We're going to talk about mission this morning. If you haven't been here for the last couple, uh, it would be really well worth your while just to go to our website and check out the last couple of sermons. Uh, They all kind of hang together. And um, and, uh, if you want a quicker way of um, digesting that information than listening to hour-long talks, uh, you can just go to the About page on our website and it's just kind of written out there for you. We'll also have a booklet for you next week um, which outlines all of this stuff as well as how you can get involved in serving in ministry in our church. So um, if you're uh, a long time or regular member here, I hope all of this has given you a sort of reaffirmed your sense of belonging and, um, and kind of reaffirmed the reasons for which you're part of this family. And if you're new or visiting, I hope that this is, kind of gives you an insight into what makes us tick and what we're all about. Um, if you are new or visiting, you should know uh, that um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. And, um, and particularly, I'm, I'm particularly nerdy um, when it comes to history. I just love history, I always have. Um, I remember in year 10, I locked our teacher out of the classroom because I didn't like how she was teaching us about the uh, Civil War, the American Civil War, and um, so I locked her out and, and took over. And, um, and I, just, I just love history, and, and, um, and I love reading history. I love, um, I love learning about the, con- the original context for the, the scriptures, and I think that's really important for a, a preacher to have his or head, her head around, um, but I just, just history in general, anything from the past interests me. Um, I'm, I'm nerdy enough that I enjoy reading historical fiction, um, which is a, a genre of writing where you know, the writer will take a historical situation and then rewrite it, um, sometimes closely aligned with the facts, sometimes you'll find uh, a particular subset of that genre called counterfactual historical fiction, and that's where the writer will imagine the world if this or that event had not happened. So there's a famous one, a uh, famous novel called Fatherland by Robert Harris, which is, uh, he, he imagines, or the counterfactual is that the Nazis won the Second World War. And so the, the book kind of centers on a 75-year-old Adolf Hitler, and you can imagine the, wor- the world is a very different place. I just find it interesting to kind of run that experiment, the counterfactual. And uh, um, so it got me thinking, like, what's the, what's the red door counterfactual? What if, um, what if in 1997 or thereabouts, what if as Delphin was planning out and beginning the, um, the, the first work on establishing Caroline Springs as a thing, um, bringing something out of the, the 
paddocks of the western plains of Melbourne? What if the Anglican Diocese of Melbourne hadn't met with Delphin back in 1997 and started talking about uh, the opportunity to have a church in this proposed new suburb? If that hadn't happened, what would, what would this place look like? And I've actually got an artist's impression of this place if they hadn't done that, which is... Um, and some of you are thinking that would be amazing. That, like that. I mean, that is my church. Some of you are thinking I, I worship there regularly. And um, so you know, who knows? Um, but it's worth thinking about because this is related to, to the idea, the question of our mission. Like the, when we think about our mission as a church, we're asking the question: Why do we exist? Why are we here? Or, or to put it in a negative sense, like, what difference would it make if we weren't here? Maybe it's a KFC, maybe it's, I don't know, Bunnings Warehouse. Who knows? There'd be, there'd be something here, something prominent, something uh, in a location like this, on a, you know, a, 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 um, a prominent position like this. Someone would be here doing something. What difference would it make if it wasn't us? That's the question we're thinking about when we think about mission. Now, we've talked about identity in the first week and how our identity as Red Door Church is really rooted fundamentally in the first Passover, in the book of Exodus, fulfilled in Jesus, who was the spotless lamb who was slain on our behalf. He was the sacrifice that both spared us from God's wrath, which we deserve, and set us free from slavery, slavery to sin. And, uh, and that forms the, the real cornerstone of our, our identity as a church. And then last week we talked about our vision. This is what we imagine. This is the sort of compelling picture of our church somewhere in the future um, if God is gracious to us and brings forth fruit through our endeavor and ministry, then we, we see ourselves as a community of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus. And today, when we come to mission, we're, we're asking the question, why do we exist? And what can we do to help bring about that picture, that vision we have of a flourishing church? Now, the, we, we've sort of arranged our mission around three key symbols. So this is just a, a, a method of sort of making it clear um, to us what we're here for, and it helps us, sort of like the points of a compass, it gives us an orientation for what we're going to do, and crucially, what we're not going to do. Even good things that we won't do because they don't serve this sort of central mission that we have. So three, three symbols of refuge, redemption and renewal, and all I want to do this morning is just kind of work through um, those three things and uh, get, get our minds thinking about what God might be calling us to do as a church that's on mission together, all right? Good? All right, let's get to it. So first thing we're looking at is this idea of being a refuge. So this is how we see it. We are a place of refuge for all who seek connection, community, and rest. So the truth of the, the first Passover, as you know, is that God saves his people dramatically, miraculously. The blood of the lamb spares them from both his wrath and the, um, the, the, um, their state as enslaved people, but they're saved into the wilderness it's not like they go from there straight into the, you know, the, the, the new creation. They're, they go into the wilderness for 40 years. And our time, in fact, all of the time between uh, now and Jesus' return, is, they're wilderness years, right? We're, 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 we're not going to make it to the promised land until Jesus comes and leads us there and actually brings the promised land to the earth, the new creation. So in the midst of this, this wilderness that we live in, we are going to encounter all kinds of people who have all kinds of needs, and we want to be a place that, that, that provides refuge for people. Connection, community, rest. 
What, what comes to mind? Let me ask, I'll just take Doug's role here. I'm going to ask you, what comes to mind when you hear that word refuge? What picture comes into your mind? Anybody? Safety? Protection, shelter? Right, so we run refuges for people who are in need. Maybe when a flood comes through and destroys people's homes, we provide refuges for them. We provide them for, uh, often for um, women and children who are the su- subject of, of domestic violence. We provide refuges for them, uh, a place that they can go that's safe and that will tend to their needs. The, the, we're, we're conscious that we have these places called refuges, and I'm saying one of our key purposes as a church is to be a place of refuge for people in need. This is a core part of our mission, flows from our identity. Now, something that we need to be really clear about, um, something that anchors this idea, something that is foundational to this idea, is that God himself is a refuge. So before we even think about how we ought to um, arrange our church and our ministries to be places of refuge, we need to first understand God is the quintessential refuge. He's the prototypical refuge. And, uh, and you pick this up all through the scriptures, um, particularly in the book of Psalms, you'll hear this. So Psalm 46 Right at the beginning it says, God is our refuge and our strength. A helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles, the mountains topple into the depths of the sea. Though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Right? Though, Though the world falls apart, though my world falls apart, God is always, do you see that? He's always to be found in times of trouble, our refuge and our strength, our helper. So that's who God is, and then because that's who God is and we're made in his image and we're called to live as he lived, that's what holiness means, that's what righteousness is, to live after God, to fulfill, to like, like to walk in his ways, his will, his word, that's what we're called to do. So he calls his people to live in a way that reflects who he is. He is a refuge. He calls his people to be a refuge. And this is really uh, an astonishing distinctive of the people of Israel. In their context, you go back 3,000 years, there was, there was almost no sense in the in, in the uh, in the popular imagination, no sense of um, obligation to people who are not of my tribe. There was a great sense of obligation, more than we have today, of obligation to people of my tribe, hospitality, you know, care for one another, but the lines were very clearly drawn, and if you weren't part of my tribe, then I wouldn't extend any charity to you, any sense of care. You're not on my team, and so I have no obligation to you. God set Israel apart very distinctively. Remember what he said to Abram? I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the world. So way back in Leviticus, where he's laying down the law for his people, he says in, in Leviticus, he, he tells them, and this, is, this would have been weird to hear, all right? You need, you need to know that. He, but he said to them, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns, like the stranger who just breezes through, the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. Treat them like they're part of your tribe. You shall love them as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. He says, remember, you know what it's like to be dislocated. You remember what it was like before that first Passover, before that spotless lamb's blood was shed for you, before you were redeemed and rescued. You know what it's like to be in a foreign land. So, unlike the Egyptians who treated you poorly, enslaved you and oppressed you, you are to love strangers like you love yourself. Astonishing thing to to call his people to do. 
definitely countercultural at that time. And even though we have in our culture been informed by Christian belief for a couple of thousand years and we have this stronger sense of obligation to those outside of us and outside of our tribe, we still, ho- we still hold some of that. It's kind of in our DNA to be tribal and it's probably being increased and ramped up, particularly through social media and polarization in politics today. So we just need to reject all of that nonsense and go back to what God calls us to be. Welcoming, a welcoming, loving refuge for all kinds of people, like any kind of person. Different colored skin, different sexual orientation, different, I don't know, different addictions, like we've all got them, right? But, you know, they've got the bad ones. This is, this is, this is what it means to be a church. Jesus' brother James put it really starkly when he said, you know, this is what true religion looks like. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's a tricky tightrope to walk for a church and we often fall off on one side or the other, but this idea that we are called to be pure and unstained from the world and yet not um, disgusted by the world, to be aware that there is darkness, that there is filthiness in the world, but not to be repelled by people who are dark or filthy. It's the kind of person Jesus was, right? Absolutely holy in everything he did, said, thought, and yet not at all repelled by sinners. That's what we're called to be. That's what it's going to require for us to be this place of refuge. And by the way, I'm not kind of putting this out there as some kind of like thing that maybe we could do one day. Like I know that this is a place where people find refuge. It, 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 it is like the greatest joy just about that I experience is seeing people come into this place who are otherwise cast adrift and they find family here. They really do. My, my concern in, in sort of arranging these the, the, the symbols, um, the three kind of areas of our mission, three kind of uh, f- banners, I guess, over uh, why we exist is, is that they are really well rooted in what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, our, our identity, our, our vision. All of this needs to really be complementary, otherwise it just falls apart. So I love that the red door throughout history has been a symbol of refuge. Drawing on the original Passover, blood-spattered doors of the Passover, fulfilled in Jesus, you have through history the red door becoming a symbol for refuge, safety, sanctuary. In the Middle Ages, um, cathedral architecture was... um, was built around this idea they would paint the doors of, of, of cathedrals in red and, and the imagery was taken straight from the Passover fulfilled in, in Jesus' blood shed. That's why those doors were painted red but it came to be a sort of symbolic of a place of refuge. In fact, it, would, it became so important particularly in in, in Great Britain, that it became common law that if you were being pursued by the law, even if it was the, the law itself, if you, if you were being pursued by the police or the sheriff or whatever, if you, could, if you could make it to a church and enter the red door, you were protected. You, you, you had found sanctuary. We still call this area of a church a sanctuary because it was li- literally the law that you would be safe in that space. It was sacred, it was protected.
in the Civil War era in, in America, when you had this great division between the North and the South, and much of it was around uh, the, the abolition of slavery, you, you had um, a whole bunch of people in the North and, and some allies in the South trying to get African-American slaves out of the South into the North where they would find safety, sanctuary, and they developed this whole thing called the Underground Railway. You can read about it online. It's um, a, a way to get these slaves to safety, and all along the Underground Railway, through different routes, uh, not just by rail, but by all kinds of different routes, you would have safe houses that people had said, you know, if a slave gets to this house, my house, I will keep them safe. I will... I will help them, I will help them on their way, I will um, hide them, I, whatever. And those people would paint their doors red, symbolic of the, the safety that they were offering to these escaped African-American slaves. The red door has always been, throughout history, a symbol of refuge. And God, make it so here. It's one of the reasons we exist. Safety, connection, rest. When people come here, we've kind of got a rule. It's not really like a thus saith the Lord rule, but it's kind of like a rule that you don't do anything here by way of service or being on a team or anything for four months. We want you to have four months just to rest. Receive. I read this book recently called Lost Connections, which is like a, the idea of the book, the kind of conceit of the book was that so much of our epidemic of anxiety and depression is driven by a, a, a lack of connection, meaningful connection with other people. People in today's society with so much deconstruction of traditional um, organizations that would bring people together, you have people who have just been cut adrift. And we want to be the kind of place where people who are drifting can find a place to call home. Yeah. So, that's refuge. Let's move on. We've got redemption. The word redemption literally means to be bought out of slavery. You are owned by someone or something else, and whatever price was paid to set you free is your redemption price. So we know as believers that our redemption price was the very blood of the Son of God. That's why this is central to our mission as a church. It goes right to the heart of the gospel. We share a message of redemption with those who haven't experience the grace of God. Those who have not yet been set free from bondage to sin. Remember in John 8, Jesus talks about just the extent of the liberation that his people will experience. We got that there in John 8. He says, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Well, that's everyone. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. You'll be free indeed. Sing about it, don't we? We don't just want to sing about it. We don't just want to talk about it in-house. We want people to know that the love of God is unconditional that the offer of redemption, freedom, is for all people. And so we share it. We, we share this message. It's a, it's a beautiful message. We share it freely and with all people. Ephesians 1 7 to 8, talks about how precious 
this redemption is. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with a wisdom and understanding, the richness of God's grace. It's blood-bought grace. It's not cheap. It cost the Son of God his life. And that's the precious blood of Jesus that buys our redemption from slavery. Just think on that. If you've, if you've just been kind of taking that for granted for a while, that's probably the reason why when you come into church, you find it hard to sing very loud or to be very excited about the stuff that we talk about. If you've taken it for granted, if familiarity has bred contempt, then just think on that for a second. You were a slave. The Son of God bought you out of slavery, and the price was his own blood shed on the cross. Now, if that's true, then the Son of God was slaughtered, his blood was spilled for your neighbor and for your boss and for your postie and for your school teacher, right? The precious blood of Jesus was spilled for all people, for everyone you meet, and they need to know that. Most of them don't know that. Who's going to tell them that? Well, it's going to be us. This is our mission. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21 gives us our marching orders, gives us our job description. It says, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He does the reconciling, and we do the presentation of the message. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have a beautiful message to share with the world. Our mission is to share that, that message of redemption with those who haven't experienced the grace of God. Refuge, redemption, renewal. Renewal. This is, I feel like, uh, a a more neglected part of the gospel message that needs to be incorporated into the, the other two, into the, the, the ministry of mercy, the ministry of evangelism, sharing the good news. We also have a ministry of renewal. We're not just saved. We're not just bought out of slavery and forgiven and then left to do whatever. We're, we're, we're adopted into a family and then given a purpose within that family. So we practice a life of renewal, for the glory of God and the good of his world. God's mission that we want to be a part of is all about taking broken things and making them beautiful again. He's, a, he's, an, he's an art restorer. He takes a, a, a weathered, grimy, blurry painting and he restores it to its original beauty. The intention of the artist is restored. He takes a broken, beautiful, I don't know, Japanese vase and he, he puts it back together, restores its dignity. 
restores its purpose. God is about the business of renewal, and we get to join him in that mission of renewal. It's sanctification is the word. It's being made more and more like Jesus. Better reflecting the glory of God in, like, me, even me, even I can be used of God to reflect his glory to a watching world. So let me throw a couple of passages at you from 2 Corinthians. So in chapter 3, Paul says, We, us believers who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And he goes on in chapter 4. It says, Indeed, everything is for your benefit, church, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, all the aging ones among us say amen, our inner person is being renewed day by day. This is the work of God's spirit in the heart, the soul, the body of the believer. Renewal, transformation, one degree of glory to the next. I tell you what, it's, a, it's the worst kind of indictment on the church when people outside of the church say, you know, those Christians don't look very much like Christ. I was hearing it from someone just last night, from, from someone looking at the church and judging the church, which is, you know, they're, they're right. They're, they're judging us against person we follow, which is a fair thing to do. Followers of Jesus who don't look anything like the Savior they follow, the Lord they submit themselves to. It's a huge indictment. God help us. I was talking to the GP on, I don't know, Thursday, I think, and he was telling me how he finds that people in the culture are very um, critical of Christians, and he was saying that it's not really fair. They're not that critical of other religions. Why are they so critical of the church? And he was saying, you know, so much of what they are critical of is not God, it's his people. And I think he's right, but I don't think it's an excuse either. We're very prone, I think, to say, well, Jesus was perfect and we're not, so, you know, what can we do? Well, that's not what the, how the Bible talks about the church. It addresses us as saints. And it gives us a vision of Christian living which reflects the glory of God, nothing less. I know that we're never going to be Jesus we're never going to perfectly reflect who he was. But God, I want to. And I want our church corporately to, to seek and strive after that. Like imagine the effect that this place could have on the culture around us if we were a church populated by people who lived like, loved like Jesus. That's not a groundbreaking idea. That's just called the church. Renewal. Renewal begins in me. It begins in you. We need to have, first of all, a conviction that we want to experience the renewal of God and we are eager to see the effect that it will have on the world around us. So 
a huge part of our mission. We want to partner with God in this. I love the way that Paul talks about this because he gets it absolutely right. The um, relationship between our work, our graft, our desire, our passion to see the renewal of God among us and the understanding that it's all a gift of his grace as we work hard at it. All right, You get, you get this just in a little pithy sentence in Colossians chapter 1. Just get this. Here is passion. This is how I feel. It says, we proclaim him. That's the, the mission of redemption, right? We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. It's exactly how it works. The work of renewal and transformation is God's work and he accomplishes it through us. I'm I'm passionate to see every single person in this church who belongs to this family growing in Christ's likeness. If, if we're not doing that, I don't know what we're doing. I labor for this striving with his strength. Yeah. Now, I... I just want to augment this idea a little bit because it would be enough to say that much about the work of renewal. That's my chief passion is to see people be discipled. That's really what we're talking about here, you know. Make all of life all about Jesus. By God's spirit be shaped to look more like Jesus. But the beautiful thing about God's work of renewal is that it's not limited to me. This is, as I keep saying, we have no individualistic gospel. This is actually a whole of creation work that God is doing. God is working for the renewal of all things. So it begins here. And my daily work is to attend to what's going on here. But it actually spreads out to all creation. The final restoration, which is the destination that we're all working towards, that this work of renewal is kind of working little by little towards that final restoration in the new creation. That picture is something that that we can all cooperate with God in helping to establish. So this isn't just about me growing in my maturity of my faith, but it's actually about me partnering with God for the renewal of all things. To put it this way, um, Caroline Springs should look more like the kingdom of God because we're here rather than KFC. I think there's a, a beautiful picture of this, the, the, um, this, this aspect of God's mission in, in Romans chapter 8. We've talked about this before, but let me just remind you. In Romans 8, it says, Paul says, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. That's, that's his way of talking about the, the final day for the, the restoration of all things, the new creation. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself would also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Now, uh, it is a great thing and an absolutely necessary thing for us to t- attend to the ministry of renewal within the people of this congregation. Absolutely, like, essential. But I don't think it should stop there. I think we need to be asking the question, how can we work for the renewal of all of God's creation? Like, just take Caroline Springs, 
How can we work for the renewal of the state of people's marriages or um, parenting or the state of the, literally, of the creation around us? Like, this sounds frivolous, but I'll say it anyway. I think you are participating in the renewal of all things when you walk around the lake with a garbage bag and you just pick up a bunch of rubbish. Because I think, I think littering is a sin. I think littering is a sin. I think the destruction of God's creation is a sin. And when you work against the destruction of something God has created, you work for the renewal of all things. That's a, that is a frivolous example. It's not a pointless one. But if that's true, how much more so are you participating in the renewal of all things as you agree to meet with someone in our congregation on a weekly basis to share some scripture with them and pray for them? Or become a part of a small group? Or put your hand up to serve in the kids' ministry so we don't have to shut that down whenever we run low on leaders. Like all of this is part of God's plan for the renewal of all things. All right? Now here's, I'll finish with this, all right? Here's what I need from you. Here's what I know about just the church. And it's, it's a gift of, um, of having a, a very mixed group of people with different gifts and different concerns. Like, I know that some of us here are going to, when I was talking about refuge, your, your heart got warmed. You, you started getting excited about what this church could be if it was, really was a place of refuge. Like if the red door really meant this is a place of safety and welcome and, and, and what it would mean for us to invite in all different kinds of people and you know, not the right kind of people and not, not, the, not the good church people, but you know, all, all kinds of people and what kind of ministry could we run that would serve people in need? Like you just, you, that, that, the rest of what I've been talking about, it was okay, but that was the thing, right? The, 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 the house the refuge thing, that's your thing. And so what I need from you is, is for you to agitate. We need a church full of agitators. The last thing I want is a, 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 a church full of people towing the line, a, a, a church full of, um, you know, just uh, peacemakers. We need agitators. So you need to agitate for more ministry, uh, the ministry of refuge, mercy. You need to say, hey, this is part of our mission. We don't seem to be doing very much. Okay? And then, and then you've uh, you got a whole other group of people who, when we're talking about redemption, you're like, that is why I'm here. I'm an evangelist. I've, I've got, like, I, if, if you don't share the gospel with someone for, for a day, you start to, like, twitching, um, and, and, and that's just your thing. You just love sharing the good news with people. God blesses his church with evangelists to agitate the rest of us. Some, not many of us will be as gifted as you in sharing the gospel, but all of us are called to make that a priority for ourselves and for our church. So you need to agitate. You need to say, like, for example, one thing you could say, uh, if you're taking notes, is we have, like, we used to run the Alpha course here, and we haven't done that since like 2016 or something. So what the hell's going on? And I'll say, that's a good question. And then you know I'll say, sounds like you should start running the Alpha course. So, all right, so we need agitators for the work of redemption. You could say, this is part of our mission. You told us up the front. We don't seem to be doing as much as we could be. Or, to put it positively, what can I do to be part of the mission of redemption? And likewise, with renewal. You, you, you just need to know that I love all three aspects of this mission. I think that every biblical church in the world should be doing this. They'll probably talk about it in different ways. They might not have the alliteration down, because not everyone has a poet for a pastor. All right, I'm just going to... 
Hold for applause. <laughs> oh, thanks. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't have to do that. Uh, right? Every church should be on about this stuff. Mercy, evangelism, discipleship. But some of you are going to be given particularly to this idea of renewal. You want to see God at work. You want to see him making me and making us and making the world more like the ideal, right? The new creation. This, for me, this is, uh, as I say, a level three, but this is just where I'm naturally wired. I just want to see renewal. I want to see it all the time. I just, I, I'm chronically idealistic. I have in mind that the world should be the new creation now, and it kills me that it's not. So I just want to do, I want, to, I want it to be there. It's not going to be until Jesus comes. I get it, but I want, it, we, I want us to be working towards it. Yeah, so you can be agitating us to be participating in the work of renewal, not just in here, but out there. All right, that's your marching orders. That's the mission of our church. Uh, look out for the booklet next week that will put it all in a very succinct way that's something we'll give out to newcomers to let them know what we're all about. Uh, everything I've said over these messages is utterly pointless, completely and utterly pointless if God doesn't bless it, if God's not at present, if he's not the one who's going to bring about fruit in our midst. So all I can do now is pray and ask for his blessing. Let's do it. Father, you are so good to us. We hope for greater things. We work towards greater things. But right now, just right here, we're just so grateful for all that you've done, for being present in those first meetings in 97, uh, for being present as the, first, the, 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 the church first gathered in 2005, for being present at the unveiling of this building in 2008, for being present all throughout, shaping this church to be a church that loves you, we're so grateful for what we have right now, but we do hope for greater things. We pray for greater things. We pray that you would mobilize, that you would energize the mission of this church. Lord God, you know our hearts. You know our hearts. You know we want to be this place of refuge a safe place for people to come and find home, find help, find community and belonging and connection and rest. And you know that we treasure this message that we have, message of redemption. There's freedom in Jesus. So please bless our sharing with everyone who's yet to discover the grace that you offer. And you know our hearts, we yearn to be more like your son. Jesus, you are the perfect person. We want to be more like you. We really want to follow you. We want Christians to look like Christ. Please bless the ministry of renewal Please help us as we, with all of our strength, which is really your strength within us, as we seek to be made more like you, Jesus, as we seek to be a positive influence on the culture around us, a blessing. Our Lord, we need your help. Our Lord Jesus, you told us in John 10 that without you we can do nothing and we agree. So please work powerfully among us for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please uh, take some time now to reflect on this mission we believe God has given us. Uh, think about how God has wired you and what he might be calling you to do and be a part of in that. And, um, and, and otherwise, just sit and, and listen 
as, um, as we have some time for reflection now. Shiny.